Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH streaming live on the KTTH smartphone app. Someone is speaking up, a doctor formerly at Western State Hospital, saying, yeah, we're releasing dangerous patients and it's not good for the public. That is what's trending. What's trending? Your health. First, we start with Mary Robnett, who's the Pierce County prosecutor, saying she's not getting the requisite 30 days notice before Western State Hospital is releasing someone, an involuntarily committed person. Now, this is part of the ongoing issue that we've spoken about for a while, not not in a while. We, we used to speak about it a little bit more often, but we certainly told you about the stories of suspects needing to be brought to a place where they're mentally competent to stand trial and understand the charges against them. They're not there yet. So they send them to Western State Hospital to get competent again. But Western State Hospital, which is run by the state of Washington under Jay Inslee, has been a mess. It's been a mess for a very long time. It lost its certification several years ago. They don't put enough resources or just many resources at all into Western State. They don't have enough beds. And they exist in a system that is actively trying to depopulate our jails. Democrats are not hiding that. They are actively trying to depopulate. They'll take sex offenders off of McNeil Island and they'll put them in homes near kids and not tell anybody and then dismiss any of the concerns. That's how extreme they are. And so in this case, what you end up having are individuals who, due to there not being any beds or due to the reprioritizing some of these cases, they're just being released, and they're not telling Mary Rubnett. She spoke with Como. We recently became aware that we're not getting 30 days notice. They're not following protocols for notice to us and release of people. They're not taking into account um, public safety when they're making release decisions, and that's a grave concern to us. Now, at the same time, we're hearing from Dr. Letitia Jeffrey Dallery. She wrote a letter, or what Chris Daniels calls a scathing letter, calling out what's been going on at Western State Hospital where she used to work. And she said that that hospital is making, quote, willfully and ignorant decisions that continue to endanger our patients, their families, and the community at large. Now, she specifically cited a recent case involving the release of a man against the wishes of a risk assessment, only to find out that that guy died 12 hours later. This according to Como. So you've got two different issues here. On the one hand, and this is a major concern for Mary Robnett, people who are dangerous, who are just being released. Then you have, which is a big issue for Dr. Jeffrey Dallery, people who are dangerous to themselves, who are just being released. And apparently, despite risk assessments, despite professionals like Dr. Jeffrey Dallery saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot release this person. This person is not ready. Society is not ready. This individual is not ready. This is a clear and obvious danger to the community and to the individual. You cannot do this. And they're like, eh, meh, we'll do it anyway. Now, Mary Robnett's in a position where it's like, could you at least 
I don't know, give us a little bit of a heads up. All we're asking is that we get the 30 days notice that we're legally required to so that we can make appropriate decisions. If we don't get that notice, we can't protect the public. We, we don't have the tools to adequately protect the public. No, they don't. This is not just happening, by the way, in Pierce County or with Pierce County. You recall, I think it was most counties in the state ended up suing the uh, the state, DSHS, Secretary of Health Services, saying you're not putting the resources that you need to. You're forcing us to keep some people in jail longer than they're supposed to because they're waiting for a bed so they can get the treatment that they need. You're not doing enough. Now, DSHS is all like, that's a lie. Rob Nett's, she's nonsense, whatever. I'm not going to read the statement because it's nothing but propaganda. If you want to get the statement, you can go to Como TV. I don't believe the Inslee administration. I believe Mary Rob Nett. I believe this doctor. It is consistent with what we've been hearing and what's been reported for a very long time now. And during all of this, not just the, the stories leading into the lawsuit, but since the lawsuit happened. And if you can find out when that lawsuit was announced, just give me the general date. I believe it was two months ago. Since then, have you heard a single comment from Jay Inslee, the guy in charge? What was the date? August 23rd. So August 23rd. Although that sounds a little bit later than it actually is. Maybe that's when it was filed, but it was announced, I thought, a little bit earlier. But let's just go with, let's just go with August 23rd. Since then, have you heard a single comment coming from Jansley? I'm waiting. Do, do we miss it? Surely there has to be, have been some reporter asking him about this. It's, it's got to exist. But given the seriousness of what's going on and the threat to the public, wouldn't you expect some sense of urgency coming from the governor, some message coming out over and over and over again, hey, we're, we're on this. We've got you covered. We're going to do what we can. Here's our plan. Nothing. Nothing. And consider me a part of this problem, too. Media is not keeping them accountable on this. Now, in fairness to us, because I, I have a bias in this case, we're small staff. I've got me and a half of a guy in there. Thanks. Well, you're not going to hold them accountable. Do they respond to your emails? No. No. They don't respond to mine. You're definitely not going to be able to get them to respond. But the truth of the matter is, we're two people. We're not going to be able to hold every single person accountable in government. Sorry. It's a little daunting. We don't have the staff for that. But between all of the other outlets... And I give kudos to Chris Daniels for doing the story today, but what about all the time between when we first started to pay attention to this and call this out and today? Why have we not had more stories? All the news networks, all the newspapers, whether we're talking about Seattle, Everett, Yakima, Spokane, Bellingham, all of them, Vancouver, throwing the Clark County, whatever. Stupid Clark County today. What is it, the Colombian? No one could have put any pressure on them more consistently between all of us. We're all dropping the ball on this. And we know what's happening and we know exactly why. Again, it's always important to understand the why. 
You have radical Democrats in charge in Washington state who believe that the criminals are the ones who are the real victims. Society has dropped the ball. There's systemic racism, systemic transphobia, systemic whateverism. They throw that out all the time. These are systems of oppression that need to be dismantled and rebuilt. And so anything involving the criminal justice system, there, there is this position by radicals for the vast majority of cases that the people who are being accused of some very serious crimes or people who are very clearly dangerous, they're somehow the victims. And so you get moves to bring people out of jail, whether it's coming from the legislative session or whether it's coming from judges. Saying, oh, we'll go easy on this person. You know, they've been dealt a a difficult hand in life. Okay. Meanwhile, people continue to be victimized. And the people who are in desperate need of help are released. And they end up hurting themselves. So who exactly is the winner here? Well, left-wing ideology. The radical part of it. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Crime. Cairo TV has a story out of Seattle, which, again, you know what? I feel like we did this story yesterday and the day before and the day before that and maybe a few times last week. I'm pretty sure we've done this before, but just double check. And stop me at any point if we've already done this story. SPD investigating two smash and grab burglaries. According to workers at Dockside Cannabis on Leary Way in Ballard, a stolen Kia was driven through the storefront at around 4 a.m. Some cannabis products were stolen. Didn't we do that yesterday? No. Was that a different pot shop? Yes. But same basic issue, right? Yes. Yeah. This is the seventh smash and grab burglary at Dockside Cannabis, they say, just this year. Unbelievable. I mean, that's almost one, that's more than one a month, right? If it's nine months, seven times, almost one a month. That's insane. You got August in my head now. That's an unbelievable track record. And then they say, oh, oh, but wait, there's more. Superior smoke, glass, and vape out in the University Village of Seattle was also burglarized on Monday. A stolen Hyundai was driven through the storefront. What? But we did that story yesterday. Was that another vape shop? Uh, That was a different one. Okay. Surveillance video shows the burglary took place a little bit before 6 this morning, or yesterday morning, excuse me. They stole a bunch of products. But as as we learned yesterday when we talked to Logan Bowers, who owns a pot shop in Redmond that just had this happen to him on Sunday... Whatever they steal from the shops is nothing compared to the damage that they cause and having to fix that. Oh, well, it's just property. That's why you have insurance, people say when they don't understand how insurance works. We get that a lot from folks on the left because usually when this happens, we'll say, well, maybe if we had more cops. We don't need more cops, man. It's just property. These these are crimes of survival. They're not stealing a sandwich. Right? They're not stealing a loaf of bread to feed their, their starving family. They're stealing weed and bongs and pipes. Unbelievable. Push the button. What's trending in Seattle? Next week, the Seattle Council is 
likely to pass new restrictions on vacant properties, which continue to be really, really, really high. In fact, King 5 had a stat, two stats actually, between 2021 and 2022, the number of unsecured vacant buildings increased by 41%. And then they saw a 57% increase in buildings that are secured, but otherwise have some sort of safety violation or maintenance violation because it is an abandoned building. But it's not just because it's abandoned. It's because of what happens when you have an abandoned building, particularly in the downtown Seattle area. You have a whole bunch of people who end up getting attracted to this area because they believe that they can get away with criminal behavior. And some of it is the less serious kind of like tagging, for example, graffiti. No one likes it. It sets a horrible feeling and vibe in a city, but that's not a violent crime. But then you've got the homelessness that end up coming over. Sometimes you have drug use and drug dealing right in front of or in the building. They break in. Lots of trespassing. And it's been a significant issue. And those stats I just gave you, they're on track to be surpassed this year. Here's executive director for Rainier Valley Community Development Fund. You do see things like graffiti. You do see things like... um you know, buildings end up getting burned. Seen a lot of those. So I went over the new rules. And whenever government implements any new rules, any new policies, I always, regardless of the topic, I'm always like, are these necessary? And sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Feels like oftentimes they're not. And there's a few on them that makes total sense. I get it. But there were two that just jumped out at me and one of them is tied to a pet peeve of mine on, on a Seattle policy that I think is implemented outside of Seattle as well. They say vacant buildings would be required to be free of graffiti. What that means is if it gets tagged, you have to clean it up. You have to pay for it. In fact, if you don't in Seattle, like in some other places, you end up getting a ticket. Don't know what it is. Can't remember. But it can add up. Now, does that seem fair to you? There are people who leave vacant buildings alone and they never do anything at all with them again until they're ready and they just forget about it. That's different. But let's say you're someone who's trying to do good. It gets tagged. Okay, you go paint over it. It gets tagged again. Okay, you paint over it again. It gets tagged again. You're now constantly on the hook for a crime that is happening because the city allows it to happen. It's not like these are one-off incidents where they're rare and, okay, you know, I know it's a pain in the backside, but it's part of being a good neighbor, cleaning this up. We know it's not your fault. We'll give you some room. Don't worry. But if it's happening all the time, all the time, how is it fair on the property owner to constantly be on the hook for that? They're not the ones responsible for it, for the person who, who ends up tagging it. And then they say vacant building standards would require solid core doors rather than single or hollow doors and one inch rather than half inch throw deadbolts. Now, again, that might be the best move to take from a security standpoint. Why is that a requirement? Any ideas? Say because people keep breaking into them because we have out of control crime thanks to soft on crime policies. Because people keep breaking into them. And then the, the, the other whispers parts. Because soft have, on crime policies. Soft on crime policies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's happening all the time thanks to Democrats. Happening all the time thanks to Democrats. Exactly. I, I could have said it better myself, but you were close. You were very close. We've created this culture of lawlessness that, that criminals are taking advantage of. And now we're saying because we as a city created this, this crime surge that you are now the victim of, 
we're going to force you to spend even more money to keep the criminals we're emboldening, emboldening out of your vacant property. That's not fair. Sorry. That doesn't seem very fair to me. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? You can't make this up. A lot of you have reached out over an incident in Yakima where the mayor decided to call 911 on quote-unquote far-right wingers because they were collecting signatures for a ballot initiative. Joining me on the line is a Yakima native. He's actually headed there right now, and he's going to do his best to push forward to get some more signatures. Of course, our friend, the legendary Tim Iman. Welcome back. Thanks a lot for having me on, Jason. It's actually six initiatives, and they're all sponsored by uh, Jim Walsh. Yeah, so take us through exactly what happened. We do have the 911 call, and we'll play a little bit of that in a second. But how did this all unfold? It's really, really weird. So the mayor of Yakima, like you said, my hometown, uh, there's a post about it, about how she called 911. And she said, far right wingers are collecting the signatures. Well, it turns out 911 calls are recorded. So she puts out her personal cell phone number on there, and she's really upset that law enforcement isn't arresting these people. And the problem is the dispatcher has to educate her on the whole First Amendment thing, that petitioning and free mm-hmm. speech and is allowed, and as long as you have a store like Walmart that opens itself up to Girl Scouts or Salvation Army, that they can't pick and choose which First Amendment activity they're allowed. It can't have any content-based discrimination. And so she's really upset with law enforcement not arresting people. And she said the whole thing is insane, is her words. Insane. Well, let's let's play just a short clip of this 911 call. 911. Hi, um, this is Mayor Dicio. I... I know that this isn't an emergency call, but I need to to talk to somebody. I've, I've emailed the chief, but um, there's some far right wing petitioners at Walmart, and they don't they're not leaving after Walmart has asked them repeatedly to do so, and the police have not um, to taken them off the, the premises. Um, we did have a call of that earlier. Who is this? This is Mayor Dicio. Okay. Um, let me let you talk to my supervisor, but I do know that the officers have let them know that they would have to have a court order. Now, that that was very confusing to the mayor. Later on in the call, she ends up getting told a little bit about what is and is not permissible. Just to, to set the record straight, were these folks doing anything other than just politely asking for signatures? Were they running up and down the aisles of Walmart screaming at the top of their lungs? <laughs> As you can imagine, these are paid petitioners, and people that want to earn money collecting signatures tend to get a lot more signatures by being nice and polite and 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 being incredibly respectful of people. So it's outside the store. It's not blocking the entrances. It's just giving people the opportunity to sign these petitions, and that peaceful political activity is legal. It's legal in my hometown. It's legal in the state of Washington, and it seems like the dispatcher knows it. The police officers know it. The sheriff knows it. But the mayor seems genuinely confused and says that it's insane that they can't be arrested for being out there collecting voters' signatures. I mean, it's just truly bizarre. So I'm trekking to Yakima right now. I'm going to spend a couple hours at that Walmart 
helping collect signatures with some people. And then I'm going to the city council meeting tonight to testify and confront the mayor about this kind of completely anti-First Amendment kind of, you know, socialistic behavior. What are some of the initiatives? Let's just give them some plugs. Uh, it's really nice. The Yakima Herald Republic did an excellent job uh, writing a story about this controversy, but they actually spent time talking about each initiative. Uh, Jim Walsh is uh, representative Jim Walsh, but in his individual capacity as a person, as a citizen, sponsored initiative one that says, you mess with my kids, you got to tell me about it, parental notification. Another one says the police can chase you if they think you violated a law. Uh, another one gets rid of the hidden gas tax, the cap and trade system. Uh, another one uh, bans any kind of income tax in the future, no matter what the Supreme Court wants to call it. Another one repeals the capital gains income tax, which is the camel's nose under the tent uh, for that. And uh, it's just a really good string of positive initiatives. But the point I'm making is that it doesn't matter whether or not they're right-wing initiatives or left-wing initiatives. You shouldn't have law enforcement being called out to arrest people for collecting signatures for a progressive initiative or a conservative initiative. It shouldn't matter the topic. But you'll notice that the mayor didn't call 911 last year when the lefties were pushing an initiative that would make all drugs legal in the state of Washington. Exactly. How do things stand right now as far as the signature gathering efforts? Uh, from what I understand, it's exploding. I mean, uh, they have a really, really big, uh, uh, let's just say motivated uh, uh, donor, uh, Brian Haywood, a real mm -hmm. successful businessman who's helping. And, uh, and there's paid petitioners all throughout the state of Washington. And uh, I hear the numbers are just really taking off like a rocket. And it's really been exciting. Glenn Morgan's been a big uh, pusher of this. Uh, Kelly, who's helping Brian, is organizing things. Sharon Hannock. I mean, it's a great team effort. And I always have to remind people, I'm not involved. I'm not a sponsor. All I'm doing is I support these six initiatives. And when I heard about my hometown mayor basically saying, you know, I'm going to be fascist. I'm going to shut down the idea of people having the opportunity to sign a petition for any topic uh, got me really upset, and I wanted to put a spotlight on it. I figured this was the best way to do it. It certainly was, and we look forward to listening to your speech later tonight at the city council meeting in Yakima. Tim Iman, as always, thank you for the work you're doing, and thank you for stopping by. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this, she sounds like a nut job, that's for sure. <laughs> no kidding. And again, this is Yakima. This isn't Seattle. Tim, thank you. Hey, you bet. Thank you. Oh, Wonderful Yakima. You're listening to The Jason Rancher. Don't forget our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn at Numb Better Tax Resolution is growing and is looking to hire tax specialists. If you are passionate about fighting for taxpayers and you're interested in a new job, give Greg Nunn a call. 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, Numb Better Tax Resolution. When we come back, it's time for The Big Local. Sammamish, Lakewood, Bellevue. This is The Big Local on The Jason Ranch Show. Bellingham, Kirkland, Z-Town. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that, 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for The Big Local, brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. They're online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore stories coming out of Seattle and instead... 
We focus all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We start with a really depressing story. Unfortunately, it comes out of Pierce County where the sheriff's department is reporting that three children were exposed to fentanyl over the weekend. And now we can tell you one died because of that exposure. It involved two separate cases. So two separate cases involving three kids in total. One happened in Spanaway, where the father apparently called 911 when he found his toddler not breathing. This happened on Saturday. The medical examiner's office performed an autopsy and discovered pills inside of the two-year-old's stomach and said that the two-year-old had a large amount of fentanyl in their system. Now, the next day, Sunday, in Puyallup, Pierce County Sheriff Sergeant Darren Moss says an infant put a piece of foil in his mouth and overdosed as a result. The foil was used to smoke fentanyl. Thankfully, the baby is okay. Now, the grandparents of that child took the kid's three-year-old brother to a hospital because apparently that kid was also exposed to fentanyl. Now, both fathers in the case, or in these cases have since been arrested. Presumably, it means they're also going to be charged, as, of course, should be the case. Both of those families are going to be torn apart and heartbroken for a very long time over this. And in the end of the day, no drug is worth your child's life. We're hearing, again, more and more of these stories popping up. It's somewhat shocking that it's taken this long to see this number of stories, but we've covered quite a few of them. In Snohomish County, for example, I believe one was out in Whatcom County. And I imagine as this crisis continues to rear its ugly head, we're only going to see even more of it. The fact of the matter is when you legalize drugs, when you effectively legalize drugs, this is the end result. This is the end result. You get people continuously using, you get addicts who become even more addicted And then suddenly the people who you definitely want to keep away from the drugs end up getting exposed. That's the reality. Right now we're at 925 deaths, overdose deaths. Most most of it, there we go, much of it, most of it due to fentanyl and meth. The number of overdose deaths year to date involving opioids. 791. Meth is at 761. Or excuse me, fentanyl is at 761. Meth is at 501. And the rest, we still have other drugs out there that are killing people. Speaking with our sister station, Cairo News Radio, Sergeant Darren Moss had this message to families. If you have a family member that's struggling, they need help right now. If you have a addiction yourself, you need help right now. You can't have this stuff around your families. Of course you can. But, hey, the ACLU will get upset if you maybe want to put some of those addicts who are breaking the law in jail. ACLU of Washington might be a little bit upset the way they are in Marysville. Now, we'll stay in Pierce County at Tacoma, their north end, another street racing event over the weekend. It started with 20 cars, but then it quadrupled. (laughs) Insane. You had about 80 cars there. You had about 100 plus people who were around the cars. Vanessa lives in the neighborhood. She captured some of her 911 call that she made. 
This was the second 911 call that she made, and she gave it over to King 5 News. I'm so sorry to call back. They started donuts in the, in the intersection, um, almost struck multiple people. The one thing I, do, I honestly don't understand about this whole sort of car culture, those donuts always almost hit people. Is that why they go, like the thrill of that? I think that's part of it, right? Has to be. That's the only thing I can think of because, dear God, every time I see one of those videos, and usually they do actually hit some people, but they're always like within an inch. And some of the people, my God, steely nerves, they don't move. Like they feel perfectly safe when it comes within an inch of them. You don't even see them, them, them like jump back a little bit. Nothing. Now, according to Tacoma PD, they got more than 56 calls to 911 from people in the neighborhood concerned about what's been going on wondering why isn't anything being done why aren't the cops doing anything now Tacoma PD they were there they blocked off the roads they put on their lights and sirens they lit everyone up but no one really cared and I said, there's a police officer right here. And he goes, if you think I'm afraid of the police, and he was calling me every name in the book, he's like, you got another thing coming. You got another thing coming. Yeah, that, that about covers it, right? They don't care. What's the worst that can happen to them? Seriously, what's the worst that can happen to them? They're night not going in, to jail. Yeah, worst case, one night in jail. No, there's no way they even get a night. They'll be, if they're even booked. I'd be surprised. They're not being booked. And they know it. And another guy who is in the area speaking to King 5 actually spoke to cops and was like, hey, what, what's, what, what gives? So there were probably four or five cars, but they just sat there. And so then when I asked him what was going on, he said, we just want to give them an out. So I said, how about giving him a ticket? And they said, well, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. Why? Detective William Muse, a Tacoma Police Department spokesperson, said, quote, if we have the ability to de-escalate, which is what the legislature wants us to do, that's what we have to do. If we don't have the justification for it, we need to stop chasing people based on current state law. There's nothing they can do. And if you're truly upset, John or Vanessa or anybody else, the 56 other people who called 911... Instead of calling 911, call your state representative. Call the people who represent you in the state legislature. Call the governor's office. Because that would be a better use of your time than calling 911 on something they can't do anything about. We'll stay in Tacoma one more time. This is actually my favorite story, but not for the reason you think. The Hilltop Light Link Rail probably probably been in been in the works for I think. Let me quickly do the math. It started uh, 12 BC, 97,000 years. It's been in the works. It finally opened. It finally opened over the weekend. Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodards says the extension helps with equity. Doesn't actually mean anything. But you're supposed to say equity whenever you give a speech because everything has to be done through the lens of equity, whatever that means. We make investments in historically marginalized communities who have been waiting so long for this opportunity. And today we deliver that promise. Yeah. 
2.4 miles of track with seven stations. It runs every day in 12 to 20 minute intervals. And it's been going on since 2018. 2.4 miles. Let that sink in. It's impressive. I mean, I suppose by government agency standards, that is rather impressive. 2.4 miles since 2018. Oh, my God. The expansion was approved by voters back in 2008. That's the funny part. They only started construction in 2018. Five years to build. Here, here's a rider speaking to King Five. King Five wants to pretend that this is a person who's generally representative of the community, but it's the kind of person who goes to what is essentially a ribbon-cutting ceremony for sound transit. But, but th- this is... Definitely someone just like you and me. It was worth the wait. It's going to be interesting yeah. to, to, to ride it and actually see, but uh, I really think it was worth the wait. Yeah, and then we find out he probably works <laughs> for Sound Transit or for Light Lynn Rail. He's a driver. He's an operator. So I don't want to just mock this. Good for them. Uh, you know, whenever you get any of these projects, it helps a very small group of people get around. Literally a small group of people but it doesn't connect to anything. It's only 2.4 miles. Okay. If it was longer and connected to things, great. And again, I say that as someone who actually uses mass transit. I, I use mass transit. I don't use light rail outside of getting to the airport. I don't use like our street car in the city we don't talk about in this segment. But, uh, you know, if it goes somewhere you want to go, great. Okay. Here's something I noticed. And I don't know uh, if anyone else caught this until I pointed it out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and everywhere else. In fact, I got it tattooed on my calf. Dale Constantine, who's on the Sound Transit board, was there. Presumably he drove to get there because he doesn't live in Tacoma. And he was on one of the the streetcars, and he took a selfie. It was like, yeah, finally, we're here. Everyone likes it, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But there's something I noticed about the selfie. He is either wearing the most makeup I have ever seen on an individual for a selfie. And I'm including women who are all like social media. um, What do they call them? Uh, The influencers. Yeah, it's such a dumb line. You're not influencing anything. People just watch you. It doesn't mean you're influencing them. But more than I've ever seen on an influencer or he used maybe four apps to airbrush this photo. His skin is flawless to the point that it looks like it was painted on. All of his freckles are gone. I get when you're on TV or doing a professional photo shoot that you have some makeup on, male or female. I wear makeup every time I go to a television set. I've always got it on when I'm there, and then I immediately take it off because it's bad for your skin. It makes it all oily. I am vain. And a narcissist. Okay? That checks out, yeah. I'm stating this as fact, period. I have never even thought about putting on makeup for a selfie. That's weird. That's next level vain. Even if it wasn't makeup and it was the some sort of filter or two. This is not an Instagram filter. He posted it on X, by the way. This was not like a simple Instagram filter. It, It was specific on his face. That's that's weird, right? That's that's odd. It, it, unless it you're a thirteen so year old, weird. if you're a thirteen year old, okay, fine. 
I'll give that to you. Good good on you, 13-year-old. He's what, 52, 53? Like, that's odd. You don't think he just has naturally porcelain-like skin? No one has the skin as shown on that photo. It was it was distracting odd. And there was a moment yesterday, if I'm being totally honest, where I was mesmerized. I was just staring at it. I stared at it for a good 17 minutes. 17 minutes straight. I just stared at his forehead thinking there's not even Botox that can do what you just did to this photo to smooth out those wrinkles. It was weird. Ask me how long I stared at it on Sunday. How long did you stare at Mind it Mind your own Sunday? business. God, why can't I just get my own weekend? You're listening to The Jason Rancho. You picked the topic on The Jason Rancho. Show. Well, I mean, normally you do. Every once in a while, I forget to give it out. Now, in my defense, it was Max's fault. In my defense. You gave I, me a I sign. Guess. You gave me I a guess. sign that could have very easily been interpreted as you're talking too much. Shut up. Let's move on and break so we can get to the next segment because the next segment is brilliant. I made that last part up, but I know you were probably thinking that. But you were actually giving me the sign of get to asking the question. But Which the I've done up, previously. The wrap-up sign does not work. you got to come up with a new sign. Give me a new sign. Whatever it is. Does that, does that look about, like a V? How about like a shrug? Vote? Like, what story should we do? <laughs> well, you're going to, if I do that to you while you're talking, you're going to give me the stupidest look no, in the let's world. Let's be clear. If you do that and it triggers me to answer the, to ask the question of which story you want me to cover, I will say that was great. However, if it confuses me, well, that's because you didn't do it well enough. So something like this, if it, I feel like it's just going to throw you off and you're well, going to you see, you see that one button over there on your board? Yes. When you push it, does it get into my ear? It it does. And that means you can be all like, you pick the nose, like real quickly. Well then, but if I'm doing that while you're talking, you're going to give me that like glare that makes my not heart if, stop. Not if I am in the wrong, which is never the case, obviously. But if in the one time I am in the wrong, then you should be, you're not going to be in trouble for that. But if you're in the wrong, then yeah, of course, I'm going to give you the look. And what's the look? It's just the look. Everyone in this building knows who has worked for me. They know the look. I don't yell. I don't cuss someone out. I want to. I'm in my head. I am. But I just give them the look that I'm giving you right now. That's way more intense than that. All right. Yeah, that's that's pretty spot on. Yeah, it makes people very uncomfortable. So I'm going to pick the story (laughs) for you. Uh, Massachusetts is becoming the first state in the country to ban state agencies from purchasing single-use plastic bottles because that is really going to get climate change and whatnot under control or something. The governor, Maura Healey, said, In government, we have an obligation to stop contributing to this damage and chart a better path forward. So we are proud to become the first state to adopt a procurement ban on single-use plastic bottles. All this means is that they are going to make life slightly more inconvenient for its workers. I imagine this will cover the gamut. I don't know how many people still use plastic cups, but this is mostly like bottled water, stuff like that, and it makes no difference in the world. 
I know this is all about just be that one person who does it the first time, and then it's going to start a, a, a an effect, and everyone's going to, yeah, it really doesn't, not on something like this. Seriously, we overstate significantly the impact of plastic bottles. We really do. Same thing with plastic bags and straws. If none of them existed right now, we would be in the exact same position as it relates to the environment and litter. You know, here in Washington State, for example, let's say we got rid of they didn't exist anymore. They ceased to exist. What would still happen? We would still have a whole bunch of litter everywhere because we have a homelessness crisis. The homelessness crisis that liberals here want us to pretend has nothing to do with the litter crisis that we have. It's everybody else's problem. Healy delivered a keynote speech yesterday to the Clinton Global Initiative. Yep, they're back. During New York's Climate Week and announced that she would be signing an executive order later this week banning state agencies from purchasing single-use plastic bottles. The plan is intended to help protect oceans and the climate. We know that plastic waste, plastic production are among the leading threats to our oceans, our climate, and environmental just how this is now impacting environmental justice. Maybe they're Apparently. racist. Maybe the the single use uh, <laughs> cups are racist. I mean, I always knew it was anti-Semitic because of the things it used to tell me. My Avion bottle. Oh my god! You should have heard the mouth on that thing. Oh god! One eight hundred four six five eight seven seventy. Don't forget the Freedom Series is on October twenty fourth. Tickets available now. VIP tickets available at KTTH.com. It includes a private meet and greet, a personalized autographed copy of my book, and so much more.